They're praising the Lord for that. All right, if you'll take your Bibles, please, we're going to turn once again to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I, and I will be reading uh, verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15. Will you stand with me, please, as you're able, for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do you do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And God adds his blessing to the reading of his word. Please do be seated. Now, I mentioned to you last week, uh, when I did not continue on on this passage, that what we have before us is an extended passage that is rather difficult to get your brain around because there is so much material here. This, uh, unlike some of the other sections that we've been looking at uh, through the book of 2 Corinthians, this one starts here and doesn't end until chapter 12 and verse 13. So trying to take all that data in and then trying to figure out how to preach one portion of it while taking all the rest into account needed a little more time. So I'm grateful for your patience in waiting now to uh, launch into this as we've taken a, just a week off from our normal schedule in 2 Corinthians. Now, if you read through this whole passage, starting in chapter 11, there's going to be a couple of words that are going to jump out at you over and over again. And they're words that are a little surprising and a little jarring because they're not the sort of thing that you would necessarily expect an apostle to be saying. Those two words are foolishness and boasting. And particularly boasting. Throughout this whole section, beginning here and running on to the middle of chapter 12, the word boast or boasting is used numerous times over and over again. Now, when you hear the word boast, what comes to your mind? What kind of emotional reaction do you have when you hear that word boast? For most of us, I think it's kind of a negative connotation, isn't it? To think somebody's being arrogant, somebody's being cocky about it. The, and usually when this word is used, in other places in Scripture, as well as just in everyday usage. Context tends to demand that boasting is seen as foolish and illegitimate. We see somebody patting themselves on the back and boasting about all they do, and we just get impatient and we just think that they're being ridiculous, and uh, that obviously 
they're thinking more of themselves. Uh, they're, they're full of themselves uh, rather than uh, being full of the Lord. And yet in this case, in almost every respect, the context would demand that we look at this word boasting in a little different light. It is used in that way a couple of times when it's applied to the boasts of those who have been opposing Paul. But Paul uses it concerning himself, and that's the jarring part of it. We think, Apostle sitting there, he's talking about boasting. I'm boasting in this, and I boast in that. And it's, 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 but I think as we go through and look at it, you'll see how, uh, how he's using it and why. The second word is foolishness. Now, again, when Paul says several times, I'm going to please put up with a little foolishness on my part. I'm, I, I'm, I've been a fool about this. I'm acting like a fool. I'm speaking like a fool. Those kind of things. For an apostle, we go, ah, that just makes us not feel too comfortable. And yet the reason that Paul uses these terms over and over again is because he is here in this last section, chapter 11 through 12, 13, is his last final big salvo against those who have been the false teachers who have been opposing his authority, opposing his, his apostleship, opposing the teachings of God to them regarding their behavior, regarding their thinking, regarding, regarding the, um, the accusations they've been making and all of that. So this is his last big defense. And it is, uh, for those of you that are, have been here uh, for really any length of time, because uh, we talk about this sort of thing a lot, this entire cha uh, section, I believe, is one huge chiastic uh, development of this idea. So we're going to develop this. I, I was talking to my wife about this, and I was trying to, Say, well, are we going to, am I gonna, I'm trying to decide. Am I just going to do this 30,000 foot view and I'm just going to cover the whole gamut of all of it so I can cover it all at once? And she's like, I think it's a quote. She says, you're not going to do that <laughs> because she knows me too well. Um, so, and as I got into it, I realized that no, I wasn't going to do that. Uh, we need to take it piece at a time. But considering all the parts while we do it. So this opening section that we just read this morning is going to be our beginning section, and then we will look at the concluding section, which corresponds to it. Lord willing, we'll look at that next week, and then the third week we'll look at the center section, which is at the heart of his defense. So we're going to, as we go through, keep your notes. Don't forget what we talk about here. I'm going to be referring back and forth between these sections uh, as we go along, so that we can try to keep the big picture in view as we look at some of the details. Now, one of the things that Paul is doing with this foolishness and boasting terminology is he is he's using that to highlight the irony of their accusations against him. And if you've been part of this or following along this, uh, this series at all, you will remember that one of the big accusations that his opponents had against him was that he was kind of weak. He was kind of vacillating. He was, you know, he talked big in his letters, but in, in his physical presence, he was not much to look at and not much to listen to. His speech was contemptible. They had no respect for him. They had a lot of contempt. And uh, probably, I would say, it's a safe uh, a safe assumption that um, their contempt and their disdain arose primarily from the fact that they didn't like what he was saying to them regarding their actions, regarding their thinking, regarding what they were saying. So he turns that on its ear and by using these things about foolishness and boasting and weakness and all of that, Weakness is another term he uses quite a lot through this, this whole section. He essentially is calling their bluff. Basically, he's saying here, if you boil it all down, if I've been so foolish, if I've been so weak, if I've been uh, just you know, full of hot air, why are you worried about it? 
How could I possibly have done the harm that you say that I've done if I am so weak and helpless and spineless? And then you get the crickets, right? Is why we would put it today. Because they, they couldn't, there'd be no reasonable answer for that. You can't have it both ways. Either he's so powerful, he's totally disrupted everything, and we don't, you know, we don't like him because all of this, that, and the other. But the, uh, but, uh, or, or you have to say, well, maybe he's not so weak and spineless after all. If they admit that, then they have to admit that they should have been listening. And that's kind of Paul's point through this. So that's kind of an overview of this whole section. We're going to focus in on Paul's statement that says, I wish you'd bear with me in a little foolishness. And I've entitled this uh, A Little Foolishness. And this particular section, um, and actually it could all apply, uh, apply, if we had a subtitle, it would be Reasons to Boast, which seems completely contrary to what we're usually you know, told, and, and rightly so, about not being arrogant and speaking up uh, our own praise. But here it was necessary for Paul to point out not only their error of thinking, but recognizing that there are appropriate reasons to find confidence in the work that you're doing. Now, when you go into spiritual battles, well, any battle, really, but particularly the focus here is spiritual battles, particularly spiritual battle battles of tearing down strongholds, which is the overarching theme of this entire series. You need more than wishful thinking and empty boasts. You need the reality of who Christ is and what he's called you to do and the, the backing of his calling and the commission that he places upon you, whether it's an official commission in the church as an officer or a commission as a parent with your children or even as the, the commission that we have generally before our friends and before the world to speak truth, every man to his neighbor and to declare to all of concerning the hope that lies within us and to exalt the Lord and his glories in all the earth. We all have those things to do. And not everyone appreciates that when we do it. Is that not true? And sometimes when you do those things, the reaction is not just, well, we don't really like that, so we're just not going to listen. Um, you can get accused of all sorts of things just the way Paul was of being weak, of being, of being despicable, and so on. Is it worth that for the sake of Jesus Christ? I think what Paul is saying here, and again, he's, he's playing on the irony of the situation here, but he's saying, let me talk about foolishness. You accuse me of foolishness? Let me tell you about this foolishness. Let me tell you about the foolishness that is necessary in order to do the work of Jesus Christ. And it's not the, you know, the fool is the one who said in his heart, there is no God. He's using this foolishness in the more broader sense, in the more broader, well, that's good English, in the broader sense of being ridiculous, being thought uh, empty-headed, being thought to be less than intelligent and less than worthy because of the positions you hold and espouse. I would submit to you that for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ, you must be willing in your spiritual battles to be thought a fool. But not foolishness in the sense of folly and just flat out being stupid sometimes and thus bringing up a cloud over the name of Jesus Christ. But foolishness as Paul lays it out for us here. And in this first section, he summarizes it with another word that tends to be a negative for us uh, in many contexts, and that's the word jealousy. So we're going to be looking at the first area of foolishness that you and I need to practice if we're going to be effective in our service for the king. And that is the foolishness of a divine jealousy. Of a divine jealousy. Jealousy. I'm sure all of you can remember 
numerous passages in the scriptures that speak of the jealousy of God. Any come to mind? Big ones right there in the Ten Commandments, which we recite here every month. Um, but uh, here's another one that is even more explicit. It doesn't just say our God is a jealous God. He's identified that way. Exodus 34, 14 says, You shall worship no other God, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now think about jealousy as a foolishness. I was thinking, why would you say it that way? Think about your own relationships and the things that you're doing and you talk with others and you have your friendships, you have other things. If someone is jealous of those relationships, what is a common reaction if someone is jealous of you, something else? You will look at them and go, would you quit being silly about this? Would you quit being ridiculous about this? There's nothing there, no, 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 whatever it is. And we regard that as a weakness, do we not? We regard that as something that is less than desirable. It's a sign of a, of a, of a weak mind, of a, of a, a fearful uh, mindset and an approach to life and something to be avoided. And yet God identifies himself as a jealous God. What kind of things is God jealous for? If you look at the various passages, it's really easy to do. Go look up in a concordance or if you've got your Bible program, you search or whatever. You can find really quickly all the passages where the Lord is said to be a jealous God and the things that he's jealous for. He's jealous for his name, for its character and its testimony in the world. And he will, he will work in the world to defend his name and his character and his actions. He's jealous for his people. To protect them, on the one hand, against oppression from others. He's also jealous for their hearts. And it, often in the context of rebuke against them because of their idolatry and seeking after other gods, as, as here a, a warning against that in Exodus 34. He's jealous for the faithfulness of, of their um, devotion to him. And so he, and it's often it's also tied together with the idea of wrath, that he's, his jealousy will issue forth into wrath against those that, that blaspheme his name or fight against his people or for his people when they are caught in idolatry. Judgment will follow. When you think about that, is and the very character of God, his name, his testimony, his people, all of the things that he sets up, uh, is it, would we say that God is just being silly when he's jealous for those things? I don't think so. Paul lays out his jealousy for the Corinthian church in much the same way. Throughout this whole book, in fact, in 1 Corinthians as well, he's been rebuking them, urging them, pleading with them to return to faithfulness to Christ. And in the face of their ongoing stubbornness, he rebukes them, he pronounces judgment and anathema upon them if they refuse to repent. And certainly, just in the, do you remember what I read in verse 15? And what he said about those false apostles? He wasn't kind. That, that's not a, a gentle, tactful thing to say about somebody. They are the servants of Satan. They are disguised just as their master is, and they deserve every judgment just as he does. That's pretty tough. Tough stuff. But Paul is not interested in playing nice with the adversary. He's interested in seeing God's name upheld. He's interested in seeing God's people upheld, and we'll see how here in just a few minutes. And so he is jealous for those things. Bear with me, he says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Let's talk about that for a minute. Jealousy for their faithfulness. He wants them to be faithful, pure before Christ. And, and we really see a faithfulness 
that is faithfulness to Christ's very character. I'm afraid, he says, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit, and we'll talk about the spirit in a moment, we'll stop with, with the first phrase there in verse 4. Yeah, I, I don't believe that they were necessarily looking for a different Messiah. That they were, you know, that, that Jesus Christ that uh, walked on the earth and went to the cross. You know, we're not satisfied with him. Uh, we we want to find a different Messiah. That, that's, I don't believe that's what Paul is talking about. And, and I don't think that's what the Corinthian church was talking about. Indeed, they had, uh, you know, in their party spirit that they had going on. I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ. Right? They had, they had, uh, uh, they wanted to have a devotion to Christ. However, when Paul says another Christ, I think the emphasis here is that the way they were acting, the way that they were talking, the, 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 the rebellion that remained there was completely and utterly contrary to the character of the Lord they said they believed in. Essentially, they were turning him into a, an idol after their own imaginations. They wanted a Jesus yeah, the historical Jesus who did all these things, but they wanted a Jesus that would conform to them and give them a pass on all their, their ungodliness and their wickedness and go, yeah, that's okay. After all, you know, I'm loving or whatever. And we certainly have a lot of false Jesuses being proclaimed around the world today and indeed have had ever since Jesus walked on this earth. If people want to remake him in their, own, in their own image instead of being conformed to his. And so Paul says, you need to be faithful to what he is and what he calls you to do and what he has said and who he is and not try to act as if you can do anything you want to do. Call the shots, make up your own rules and all that other stuff and still say, I believe in Jesus. You either believe in him as he's revealed himself or quit playing the lie and just say, I don't believe in him. That'd be better. At least you can have an honest conversation with somebody then. Well, Paul is jealous that they be faithful to who Christ really is, to his character. Take a look at verse 20 real quick. Um, what are they? He says, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. And you say, what does that have to do with Christ-like character? Well, that's the point. It doesn't. They're willing to kick Paul to the curb while they follow along with false teachers. Um, presumably, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, last time we were looking at this passage, presumably some elder or other officer in the church that was kind of leading, leading their last remnant of opposition against Paul. And we're going to talk more about this passage and what all is going on there. But the point is, is that for now, is that here they are, they're willing to go along with anything else as long as they can do what they want to do. Anything else besides Christ, as long as they can per persist on and have their position, and have their place, and do the things that they want to do, they were willing to get rid of Paul and put up with the false teachers, uh, even though they were being oppressed. Again, we'll look at that a little bit more in a bit. Jealousy for faithfulness to Christ's character. Also, we see in verse 4 there, if you've received a different spirit from the one you received. You've, this faithfulness to not only his, Christ's character, but also his spirit, to be truly guided by the Holy Spirit of God, to truly walk in, as we are commanded, to be filled with the Spirit, to, to submit ourselves unto Him, to His promptings, as He convicts us of sin, as He urges us, as He teaches us from His Word, as He enables us, rather than looking for our motivation and looking for our strength and some other spirit. Some, and, and I'm not necessarily thinking, and I don't think Paul is either, of some sort of, you know, looking to some demonic power, though that's a possibility here. But I don't think that's what the Corinthians were doing. Uh, they would have likely said, no way, that's not what we're involved in. But they were listening to the spirit of the age as to what was okay. They were listening to the voices of those around them that were 
were happy to tell them that they could continue on in their immorality, that their division was not a big deal, that their rebellion uh, was justified because they knew better. That's not the Spirit of Christ. But they were willing to receive it. Paul was jealous for them that they would not walk in that way. And that is truly a divine jealousy. Um, the Spirit is the one who calls and equips his leaders as well. And he's had these false leaders who were standing up there and saying, well, you know, we don't have to listen to Paul. You listen, need to listen to me. Well, where do you get your power and authority from? Just because you decided you wanted to be a leader in the church, now you get to do that? Or even if you had, been, had hands laid on you at one point and you were properly ordained, and yet you decided to defy your ordination as, as someone who's walking under the power and authority of Jesus Christ empowered by His Spirit and you decide you're going to go do things according to your own fashion? That's not the Spirit of Christ. And, and therefore, one, one person is in, uh, uh, in that state of rebellion. Well, he's illegitimate. No matter how much he wants to say, yeah, I'm the boss, listen to me. The last aspect of that verse in verse 4 says, uh, another Jesus, a different spirit, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. Paul is jealous for their faithfulness to Christ in every respect, to his, his character, to his spirit, and to his word. He says, you're willing to put up with this. Chapter 12, take a look at this, verse 11. Chapter 12, verse 11. Says, I've been a fool. There's that use of that word. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. He, he says that also in verse 5. I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. It's one of the cues that you know that those passages are working together there at the front and the back of this passage. But anyway, he says, you, you know, you get this different gospel. It wasn't, it's not the way I preach the gospel to you. This isn't what the Lord gave you. But you put up with it readily enough. You're willing to listen to a different word. And he's rebuking them and encouraging them and saying, I am jealous for you. You need to return to being governed by God's word, not the wisdom of men. I cannot begin to tell you how many times through my ministry, I've heard people say in almost these words, it's, it's like somebody sent out the play, you know, the playbook with the script. Well, I know, God, I know the Bible says this, but I think. I, I, and you know what? If, if truth be told, I suspect, though I have a convenient memory, I don't remember ever saying those words myself, but knowing the perversity of my own heart, I wouldn't be surprised if I did at some point. Because it is the, the propensity of fallen man to say, to go right back to the Garden of Eden, hath God said, well, he said this, and then we add our bit to it, to justify what we want to do. That is the essence of sin. God knows stuff, but I know better. So who really is God in my life? Hmm. Paul says, I'm jealous for you, Corinthians. Put up with my foolishness of this kind of jealousy. You may think it's silly that I care about this. You may think that I'm making too big of a deal about this. But it's not ridiculous. It's a foolishness I'm willing to, to, to exercise and to be regarded as a fool if necessary if it means you will return to faithfulness to Christ. That kind of foolishness is required of us if we're going to be faithful warriors for our Lord in whatever sphere he places us. Notice also you get down to verse 5 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, and we read there, Indeed, I consider I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we've made this plain to you in all things. And then he goes on. 
Did I commit a sin in humbling you? Of course, the rhetorical question, he knows good and well he did not, and they know good and well he did not. Um, but uh, is, is this a problem that I humbled myself? You, you, you don't want me to exercise my authority, and yet at the same time you complain that I'm all humble and weak and, and vacillating and so on. Is that a problem? I'm trying to exalt you, but... I, I guess you wanted me to throw my weight around and you wanted me to be a jerk about it. Is that really what you wanted? I preached the gospel to you free of charge. And he uses this term, I robbed other churches. I, you know, look, accepted support from others just to serve you so that I did not specifically burden you. He had a specific purpose in Corinth for doing that. This is not a a categorical, nobody who's in ministry should ever be paid. Also, we have other passages that indicate that that's not the case. He's speaking specifically about a decision made in Corinth, saying, I'm not going to take anything from you because of the nature of that culture and so on. It, he felt it was expedient to make an absolute point. I'm not taking a dime from you. Others will support me. I'm not going to be a burden to you so that I can't be accused of that. And yet, they're like, well, you know, you're just a weak sister. It's like, Paul is, we, we talked a lot, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we were pointing out how many times Paul uses sarcasm through this whole section. Well, it continues. It's like, come on, people. Um, be consistent. And he goes on to say, all right, um, when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone. Um, I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Now, in this section, what is, he, what is he jealous for for them? I had to think about this for a little bit, and then it occurred to me, and I think, I, I think this is spot on. He was jealous for their freedom. He was jealous for their freedom. What's the situation? The false I can only assume by reading this passage that what was going on in Corinth were, was essentially that the, the false prophets, the false apostles, not prophets, false apostles, those that were proclaiming that they had the authority from God to speak and not Paul, were, and, and particularly as we read through the rest of this section, it becomes pretty clear that they were oppressing them, that they were expecting, uh, that they were in it for the money, they were in it for power, they were taking advantage, and, and indeed to the point of burdening the congregation uh, because they were more interested in themselves than the people. So Paul is saying, I'm, I labored for you. Made, I was, this is still under the, context, under the umbrella of this divine jealousy. I want you to be free from those false teachers. They're the ones that are, you know, they think they're so great. They're the super apostles. They're the ones the Lord lifted up. Well, Paul had his day, but here we are now. And Paul's saying, I'm not inferior to them at all. You need to understand that your salvation's not in them. That's not where you're going to be. You look at chapter 10 and verse 10. What were they saying about him? Well, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. We, on the other hand, well, you know, we've got charisma you know, we, we, uh, we know how to speak. We know how to really, you know, slay the dragon with our tongue. And yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are, are more glib than all of us, right? Anybody here wish that they could do a better job in testifying of Jesus Christ? Anybody here wish you had a better grip on the scriptures? Anybody here feel like, boy, I wish I was stronger or better looking or more intelligent or more knowledgeable or more glib or whatever else so that we could be more effective. And that's the way we think, is it not? But it's entirely backwards. If we are going to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ, he's the one that has to get the glory, not us. So we need to be willing to be regarded as fools and be regarded as weak and be regarded as the despised in order to lift him up by contrast to the frailty of our flesh. These, these super apostles, these false apostles, weren't thinking that way at all. Paul was jealous that the, for the Corinthian church that they would be free from that. 
free from extortion. As he's talking about all this money stuff and the support stuff that's going on here, um, I, I'm not going to burden you. I'm not going to um, expect you to, uh, before I do anything for you, I'm going to pay you. Uh, no, I mean, uh, you're going to pay me. Uh, no extortion. He wanted them to be free from the extortion that they appear to have been suffering at the hands of these other leaders. And if you look at verse nine, the same thing. I, I did not burden anyone. Others came to supply. I refrained and will refrain. There's going to be no manipulation on my on Paul's part. He says, I want you to be free from that manipulation. I want you to be free from these false teachers, from their oppression, from their taking advantage of you, from their extortion, from their manipulation, all these things to get you to follow them, to get you to do the things they're going to do, whether it's coercion, manipulation, whatever else they were doing. Paul says, I want you to be free from that. Just as the Lord God in, uh, with Israel was jealous when the nations around Israel would attack Israel and oppress Israel. The Lord God was jealous for his people to be free from that. And as they walked in faithfulness and they walked in, in uh, worship towards their one true God, he would deliver them. Uh, he was jealous for their freedom. He was also jealous for their safety. And you look at that from verses 10 through 15. Interesting things here that's going on. We'll come back to verses 10 and 11 in just a minute. Uh, similar kinds of thoughts that are here, but I, I'm taking the word safety here uh, from a couple of, uh, couple of thoughts that are, that are happening in this passage. Paul says in verse 12, what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, that's one of the uses where it's applied to the false guys, uh, and therefore not in a legitimate sense. Uh, but they, they, they are boasting that they work on the same terms as we do. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So let's think about the safety of their hearts. And that's really what Paul is jealous for. Let me back up just a second here uh, before we dig into here. And I want you to Think about this, many of you who are parents out here. Um, you know, if I, I think all of us as parents de desire the safety of our children, it can be a physical safety, of course, and that, that's appropriate, particularly the younger they are. Um, but I think as Christian parents, I think we're even more concerned, are we not, for their spiritual safety, for the condition of their hearts before God, and for the, the, we long for the evidences that they are safe and secure in the arms of our Savior because of their faith in Christ as they grow. Now, Paul has already said, I've, I've betrothed you to one husband. He's speaking to them as a father would, spiritual father would. I, I long for you to, to be presented to your husband in purity and in holiness with souls safe from the adversary. And these false guys are out there preaching their own gospel and doing their own thing for their own benefit. He says, I want you to be free from that. I want you to be free from their oppression. The ones that come along who say, oh yeah, we're apostles just like Paul. The same terms there. And essentially saying, we have the same divine commission as the apostle Paul. But they did not. They were not one of the twelve to begin with. Nor were they Paul who had been specifically selected uh, to uh, fill a hole in the original twelve. And by, and we know from from. Uh, book of Acts and elsewhere that Paul you know, spent three years in the wilderness uh, being ministered to by Christ and the direct impact of Christ on his life and calling. So, you know, they didn't have that. What they had was, we feel like, sure, uh, we were recognized as leaders in the church. 
Maybe had hands placed upon us. We can go do these things. Uh, but as far as, you know, being, having the same level of, of office, they didn't have the same office. They weren't apostles, no matter what they said. And they would never be apostles because the apostles, uh, it's not a self-appointed office. You get to decide, okay, I'm going to be an apostle now. The apostles were the 12 minus Judas replaced by Paul as those who would specifically go out and found and establish churches. Um, through the preaching of the gospel in those early years, before the completion of the, the canon of scripture, and the Lord would do special things through them, and when they were done, they were done. We have the word and the spirit of God continues on. These guys wanted to uh, carry on and say, well, we, we're just apostles just like Paul, and it's a lie. They were not. Paul wanted them to be safe from that, from their oppression, from their long enough. See, we, we've, got, we've got the office, so therefore, you need to do what we say. Secondly, um, as I said, it was a lie. Uh, want to be free from the deceit. It's a boasted mission. They're deceitful workmen. Uh, now, the word disguise that we have down here uh, in verse uh, 13 uh, and 14 uh, and 15, for that matter, the word disguise uh, through there has the idea of the word, the word behind that English word is outwardly transforming yourself into something that you're not. Probably most of us at one time or the other in our lives have dressed up in a costume or something or maybe acted in a play, a school play or something else and where we're pretending to be someone that we're not. Um, there's a, you know, I suppose from an entertainment standpoint or whatever, uh, there's a legitimacy to that. But of course, in real life, doing that is a big mistake. In fact, it is a lie. And yet a lot of us do it, do we not? It's really easy to try to put forth one face to the public to hide what we really are inside. It's easy to do that. Well, these guys were doing that. Oh, look, we're uh, authorities in the church. We're officers in the church. Therefore, you know, we're, we're the good guys. And here's this Paul who's despicable out here. Um, they were all depend. They were depending, if you will, they were depending on their makeup. But ladies... How, how, how long does makeup last? You kind of have to reapply it all the time, don't you? I mean, if you're going to use it, right? First time you glisten, well, okay, I've got to go fix that now. Whatever. We can do makeup all the time, and makeup serves its purpose, I guess. Purpose is to hide blemishes and smooth things out, right? Add a glow or whatever. But underneath, you take it off and it's a different picture. Sometimes we like what's under there. Sometimes we don't. These guys had the makeup put on with a trowel. Paul says they're false. They're disguised just like Satan disguises himself. And I want, I'm jealous for you that you uh, are delivered from these guys. You need to be safe from their deceit. Their work is deceitful. That literally means a deceitful uh, worker. That's a, a, somebody who's treacherous, a treacherous worker. Someone who's not just, you know, well-meaning, but self-deceived, but someone who is out to harm others that they might be exalted. If you're going to, Fight such things. You have to be willing to take the insults and take the the appearance to them of you're obviously if you're not throwing your weight around, you're not doing these other things. You're not like us, so therefore you're weak. Paul says, oh, "Okay, fine. I'll be weak. I'll be a fool. I'll be regarded as that if that's what it takes to win your hearts and to recognize what's true, because the Lord doesn't see as man sees." He, we look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart, as was said to Prophet Samuel. And they have deceitful credentials, not just in their, their, the treachery of their work. They're claiming they have, uh, that they're apostles. 
Again, an apostle was one who was particularly sent by God. The word means sent by God to found and establish churches through the preaching of the gospel. And in this particular context, it was those who were chosen personally by Christ himself for that work at that time to establish his church for then and for the future. They didn't have that. So they were deceitful in claiming it. They were deceitful in their wisdom. Verse 14, um, here Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Light. When we think of wisdom, we think of light, bringing light to bear, giving understanding of what is true, what is real, what should be done, all those kinds of things. Satan disguises himself in that kind of of light, that kind of wisdom, and these guys were too. But it was deceitful. It was empty. Like most error, when we look here in the scriptures uh, through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, some of the things they were saying might have a, an element of truth to them, but most, uh, most sinful um, revelation is truth mixed with error. The, the truth is the, the little bit of sugar that helps you swallow the error a little better. These guys were apparently pretty good at that. Paul says, I'm jealous for you that you not succumb to that false wisdom, to that deceitful wisdom. Again, take a look at chapter 10 and verse 5. What is the nature of, of, their, of these high-sounding arguments? It says there, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience. So they're lofty arguments. They sound great, but it's of a satanic wisdom and not a divine wisdom. And Paul is jealous that they not get sucked in for that. And that is something that when you hear God's word misspoken of, when you hear his truth maligned, when you hear his name uh, called into question, be jealous for the, the heart and soul of those, whether it's your children, whether it's your parishioners, whether it's your neighbors, whatever it is, be jealous for the truth of God's word and um, graciously, kindly, lovingly, but, but steadfastly, um, when people say, well, I know the Bible says this, but I think, um, it's time to say gently, but firmly, it's not about what you think. Is about what has God said. Stop, full stop, boom, there we go. Now let's deal with that. So be jealous for those things in the hearts and lives of others. And finally, verse 15, uh, be, uh, regarding the deceit here, safety from deceit, they have a false righteousness. Verse uh, 15 says they are uh, servants who disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You know, if there was ever proof needed that these guys were put, putting forth a false righteousness, a deceitful righteousness, the immorality that they tolerated and even encouraged in the church of Corinth is proof enough that they were willing to set God's standards aside and replace it with theirs. And that's a deceitful righteousness that cannot please God in any way, shape, or form. And Paul is jealous that the Corinthian church would be safe from that kind of deceit. And the final thing that he's jealous for is that the, that last phrase, he wants them to be safe from the judgment that's coming to those who are walking in error. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, we read these words of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that lawlessness would be unrighteousness. They have a false standard of what is righteous. Oh, I did this, I did that, and I did the other thing, so therefore I'm good to go. My family knows that, uh, and some of you know too, uh, one of my favorite things to to say when somebody says, if I say, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm good. What do I say, family? There's none good but God. But we're all, we're all really happy to go along and say, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But we're not. We're not. We need to be uh, the 
practitioners of and the preachers of God's righteousness and not ours. Now this jealousy, this divine jealousy, what's it motivated by? Verses 10 and 11 have that answer, and with this we close this morning. This jealousy is motivated by love. Paul says, you think I don't love you? God knows I love you. His jealousy for them was not about putting himself forward. In fact, that's the whole point. They even recognize in some respects that he's not putting himself forward, even while at the same time on the other side of their mouth, they're suggesting that he is putting himself forward because he's telling them what to do and they don't like it. But they recognize that uh, uh, at least that he, he uh, in his weakness, quote-unquote, in his foolishness, quote-unquote, that um, he hasn't done a thing to take advantage of them. This jealousy, and your jealousy as well, for the, this, this righteousness, this holiness, this safety, this faithfulness, this freedom in the hearts and lives of others, is motivated by love for them and love for Christ. And it's guaranteed by the reality of Christ in you. He says there in verse 10, as I'm, you know, in, in the presence of God, in the sight of God, as Christ is in me, I love you. And that's the guarantee because of the reality of Christ. It's the reality of Christ is in you. And you are walking according to that reality. Then you will walk with this kind of jealousy for the heart's um, and souls of others. And you will also, I mean, you'll be jealous even for your own faithfulness, but Paul's speaking about as he's dealing with these uh, matters of spiritual warfare in the hearts and lives of the Corinthian church, that he's motivated by love for them and striving to exercise among them this, a little foolishness, this foolishness of following the example of our Lord with a divine jealousy for their souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be divinely jealous for righteousness and holiness and your peace and protection for your children and those around us, whether they're under our authority or they're just within our circle of influence, Lord, I pray that we would love you more than we love our reputation. We would not be concerned uh, with the world thinking that we are something great. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to be regarded as fools for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. In whose name we